game Tetris. Like I remember playing that, especially when I was in high school, spending lots of times with, uh, if you don't know Tetris at all, they give you all these shapes. All right, these shapes that are made up of four cubes. And so maybe they'll give you a square or maybe they'll give you just the straight line where all four of them are in a line. Or maybe one looks like an L or kind of Z. And so it continues to give you one shape after another. And your goal is to fill up a whole line. And once you do that, it disappears. And so the lower you can keep it close to the bottom, the greater chance you have of continuing to play because it gets faster and faster and faster. And you really get the big points when you fill up all the rows except for one line, and then you get that four in a row and it goes down and wipes out four lines all at the exact time, that is like the major big point. So like I remember playing Tetris a lot in high school and I'm proud to tell you that that made me a better youth minister. All right, it made me a better youth minister. And so some of you already need to start thinking, how do the video games that I play help me like in a career path someday, okay? But it made me a better youth minister because for 20 some years, I got to load trailers, all right? So like when we were going on trips, yes, I had youth coaches here to help me, but sometimes when you are maxed out and people in the vans and you gotta figure out how to get it in a trailer, it's like, well, the suitcase goes this direction. This one lays this direction. We, got a, we have a sleeping bag that goes up here, a pillow that goes over here. I don't even know what this is, but it fits in right here. And so you gotta figure out how to get it. So then at the end, it's like, ha, ah, I got it all on there. We are able to go on the trip. I remember probably the first trailer that we loaded unloaded when I was an intern. We were on our way to Mexico. And so we then got down there and we were pulling things off. And the youth minister that I was under was grabbing things and handing them to me. And I remember he turned, maybe with a suitcase, I don't remember exactly. And he came to hand it to me and his head hit the top of the trailer. And I remember because, you know, the doors don't go all the way up. So there's a little bit of spot right there. And he hit that and he needed to sit down. I don't remember if it was bleeding. I don't remember if there was a bump or anything like that. But later, I remember just talking with him at going, are you all right? And he's like, yeah. And he said, what came to my mind is something from Psalm 139. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, well, actually, I've been studying that right now. I've been memorizing it. And he said, there's this line that talks about God. He says, you know, when I sit and when I rise. And he said, and when I hit my head on a trailer. (laughs) And so it just kind of made me laugh. And I'm like, Psalm 139, I don't know that one at all. And so I went to it later that day and we just had some downtime. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 139 because that's what we're looking at today. And as I read that, I'm like, man, there is so much material in here that is just fantastic stuff. So I decided I was going to start memorizing that. And so one time I had the entire chapter memorized. Now there's one section that I don't, and you'll see why here in a little while. But like just Psalm 139, there are so many things that David writes within there. I'm like, this is such good stuff that not we just need to know with our minds, but in our hearts. And so today, as we're looking at Psalm 139, there are three timeless truths that I think every single one of us need to know. That we need to be able to walk out of here just grasping tightly, going, I know this to be true. All right? So the first timeless truth is this, that God made me. And I'm not just talking to Andy, okay? God made me as far as all of us. He made me. And so this is audience participation. So you remember these points, you get to say it out loud. So when I point to you, you're going to say, God made me. Ready? All right. Now, some of you are like, God made me. Okay. Yes, he did. It's a little more exciting than that. But God made you, which is fantastic news. And if you go to Psalm 139 and you start at verse 13, it says this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days 
ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I hear what David writes and he says, God, you made me. I don't know if you kind of have some imagery. It says you created my inmost being. Do you see a craftsman spending time working on whatever it is that he or she is making just to make it exactly right? And God, as our creator, is making our most inmost being, like the details that no one else sees. It says you knit me together in my mother's womb. Do you see someone sitting there hours knitting whatever it is? like purposely putting all the small details together so that it comes out just right. That's who God is. And he knit me together in my mother's womb from a very early age. It says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And so wonderfully, we get that. The idea, man, I am unique. I am set apart. That's how God made me. But fearfully, like, does that mean that I'm supposed to be afraid? And and that's not what it means at all. In fact, it has more to do with how God made you, that he was making you while he had great reverence for you, great respect for you. So it's not just some kind of, you know, assembly line, like human, human, human. Like that's not how God was doing it. He made every single one of us unique. He made us all special. And so then it talks about how, you know what? Like when I was woven together in the depths of the earth in the secret place, you saw me the entire time because you are the author of, of life. You're the one that made me. Then even right after that, it says, you know, all my days were written in your book before one of them came to be. Like, you know, you knew what was going to happen with my life. And I've used this text sometimes when I've had conversations with students. They've come to me just going, you know what, I'm struggling. Because like my brothers and sisters, they're a lot older than I am. And uh, I know I wasn't planned. Or maybe even they say the word, I was an accident said, you know what? You may not have been known or planned by your parents, but you're not an accident. Like God knew when you were going to be here and he has written your days in his book. You have purpose. You have value. Every single one of us is so special to God. Like even as I was driving on Friday, I heard an illustration on the radio where a son was talking to his, or a dad was talking to his son. His son was really struggling. Because like he was being made fun of by other kids and he was looking at his talent and abilities just going, I don't feel like I can measure up with what everyone else is doing. And so the dad, he pulls out this watch that had been his grandfather's. Said, hey, why don't you take this down the street to Goodwill and ask them how much they would give you for this watch. So he goes down and asks, hey, how much would you give me for this watch? And they say $5. So he goes, dad, dad, they'd give me $5. Says, okay, now why don't you go down to the convenience store and just ask them. Okay. So he goes down to the convenience store and says, what would you give me for this watch? And they say, $5. He comes back, Dad, they'll give me $5. So now I want you to go to the museum. So go down to the museum in town. And so he asks and he comes back, Dad. Dad, Dad, they said they would give me $500,000 for this watch. And just amazed, like, why would they do that? His father says, because they know the value of what you hold in your hand. There's a lot of times that other people are going to try to assign us value. Maybe a person or a group or even society may try to say, well, this is only how special you are. But God is the maker, and he knows all about you, and he knows how special you are, how valuable you are. In fact, as we learned at at VBS, that you are his masterpiece. You are his poema. That's the actual word, where we get poem. You are his work of art. And so even as we're talking about this idea of God made me, I think it's important to talk about things that are going on in the world right now. And some of you might be like, they're talking about that from stage right now. Yeah, we are. 
Because at least when I'm reading my Bible and I see what God wants the church, it's not just, hey, let's talk about things that are somewhat easy, not controversial. Let's like just kind of do the things you know you can figure out yourself. Like, that's not what God wants us to do. I will tell you, I've been praying a lot for this message, even before things happened this weekend. Um, our elders have been praying a lot about this message. One, because I don't want you to hear just what Andy's saying. Like, I want to be coming from the Word of God. I'd also tell you that I've been praying a lot about this because, even watching social media right now, like I know we've got people in our church that are here, people that are here and everywhere in between on this issue. I also know that we have people coming from different experiences, and that affects how you view things and what you think needs to be done. And so, man, this vast array, how do we handle this topic of abortion and life, and what do we say about that? Before I even get into that itself, can I tell you five things? First, let me tell you about this idea of separation of church and state. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard that term, and maybe because of that, you're like, okay, the church has its spot over here and government has its spot over here. Did you know that those words are not actually found in the Constitution, the separation of church and state? Oh, we've been told they are, but they're not there. The First Amendment does talk about how Congress won't pass any laws like towards a religious um, grouping. Now, what they mean by that, okay, the exact words, what they mean by that is the people had come over from England and they were being forced to be part of the state church. And they were like, we don't agree with this. And the things that they're telling us are not right. And so we don't want to live by this way. We want to live what we think the word of God is saying. And so when they came over here, these religious people didn't say, oh, we ought to follow God, but not with government. No, what they were saying is we need to make sure that we're not forcing a certain church slash denomination on everyone. You have a freedom of religion. That's what the Constitution actually says. And so if you hear anyone ever use an argument saying, well, there needs to be this separation of church and state, it's not actually in the Constitution. And if you've ever used it, I want you to know, so that way you can be educated. Second thing that I would tell you, especially as we're talking about controversial issues, is that another person is not the enemy. And I think we had a sermon on that back in the fall, but I want you to remember that no one else is the enemy. If they have different viewpoints, if they make different choices, man, the real enemy would love to use anything he can to break up God's church. The third thing I would tell you, as a Christian and as the church, our beliefs need to come from God's word. Like that needs to be the foundation. In everything we do, we need to see, God, what is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to say? How should I live? Like our opinions need to come from God's word. And so I tell you that because like, even like the older I get, the more and more people that I talk to, like there's a big apathy, especially on big issues. They're like, yeah, I don't care. Like there's a lot of people that, oh, I don't care. Except for then something happens and they get angry and it's like, okay, so where are you coming from? And they're like, I don't know, I just feel this way. Like they don't know where to come from. Can I just tell you, don't be that kind of person. Like if you have an opinion, if you have something, where does that come from? And as a Christian, it needs to come back to God's word. That is who we are called to be, what we are called to do. So I would tell you that with a third thing. Here's the fourth thing I would tell you. That, especially in a church this size, or you can even say start talking to people outside the church, it is okay to have conversations and disagree with people, and we can still love each other. We can still like one another. Man, that's a crazy thought, but it's true. Like, you and I do not have to have the same opinions on everything. We still should come back to God's word. How do we stand on this? We can still be united and help one another as we're living life. That's how God set up the church. And man, it's crazy that we even have to say that, but we do. So just understand that on the fourth thing. Here's the fifth thing that I would tell you when we're talking controversial things. 
don't use the word always or never. Like maybe you've been in those spots, even in your family, and someone's like, well, you always say this, or you never do the dishes. And like, you know, if you're told that, like all of a sudden your wall goes up, you're kind of getting angry. I did that like three weeks ago or whatever, and all that kind of stuff. And man, that's not helpful whatsoever. So like even on an issue like this, like hearing these words never, there should never be an abortion. Really, that's a pretty strong word. Okay? You can also go the other way. There should never be a law set up. Really, that's a pretty strong word. And so I want you to hear that because, again, these extremes are there. This is a pretty delicate issue still coming from the Word of God. So having told you those five things, and we're talking about this idea of abortion in life, here's a couple questions that I would love for you to have an answer for. You don't have to tell me, but I want you to be able to walk out of here knowing this. Number one, when does life begin? Like When does life begin? Okay, so does life begin when you are actually holding the baby in your hands? Is that when life begins? I mean, you're seeing, you're, you're smiling, they're spitting on you, I don't know, you're crying, going, okay, great, quiet down, all that kind of stuff, I don't know. Like, is that when life begins? Or does life begin at some other point because you feel the child kicking? Or when they have fingers or toes? Or when there's a heartbeat, which can be even like day 18, when conception happens? Like, when does life begin? Because you need to have an answer to that because that affects a lot of your other viewpoints. And so again, going back to God's word, when does life begin? So figure that out. The second thing that we also have to talk about when we're doing this issue is something called ethics. All right, ethics. Because there's even Christian ethics trying to figure out where do we handle some of this stuff. Here's what I mean. Let's say I lived in World War II time and I am hiding Jews because I don't want them to be killed. I don't think it's right what's going on. And someone came to my door and said, are you hiding any Jews? What do I say? Because I could say, okay, God doesn't want me to lie, and so I'm going to say yes, knowing that I'm trusting him, I'm doing what he wants, and he's going to work everything out however he chooses to. So my ethic could be I'm not going to lie, or my ethic could also be I think that their life is more important than telling the truth at this moment, so I'm going to say no. You know what? We see both, uh, both of those kind of situations in the Bible. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are not bowing down, even though we could fake it and saying, yeah, we're really not serving this. They're like, no, we're not going to do this. You also see Rahab lying, saying, yeah, the spies, they went that way. And both of them are actually praised for the things that they've done. And it all comes down to ethics still out of God's word. Like, hear that. Still out of God's word. How do we do this? And so even in this situation, like I've been watching lots of social media to see everyone's points of view, where I'm coming from this. And I get this, like one side of things of, you know what? Like, Look at the mom. What about this situation? What about this situation? What about this situation? I get it. I also go to the other side, and I've looked at statistics, and since Roe versus Wade came into play, there have been 63.5 million abortions since 1973, and those are the ones that we know about. Man, it's not so cut and dry here. There is a lot of things to work through. Here's what I will tell you. As I'm working through this, the thing that I continue to see in Scripture is that life is important to God. Like life, all life is important to God. And as Christians, as the church, we have to figure out how do we honor that and how do we protect that? And so, you know what? There's all this life. So if we talk about even in the womb, how do we as Christians defend the defenseless? How do we stand for life in that moment? Because that's life that God thinks is important. As we're talking this issue, though, life of the mom is important. 
We're not saying that's not important. So you have to figure out that issue. As a church, we don't just stop with while they're in the womb. What about when they're born? And so, okay, if we're saying life is important and a mom has said, yep, I don't want to have an abortion. And so I'm going to get to this point, but then I don't want to raise this child. There's things going on. You know what? As the church, we are called to step up and make sure that we're doing things in the foster system and being able to adopt if we're really saying that life is important. And CIY pushed that a few years ago to our high school, middle school students going, man, this is something that God calls us to step up to. But even life there, it doesn't end. So then as kids are growing up and there's being told all these different things that you can choose this about yourself, it doesn't matter and all these things. Man, we need to come alongside as the church saying, let us tell you truth because life is important. And so then as they're getting into middle school, high school, really forming their identity, or then they're going out on their own to college or they're starting a job, or then they're like, you know, newlyweds, or now they have kids and just continuing on. We need to come alongside saying life is important and of every stage, even to the very end. Like my wife and I, we just made a six-hour trip on Friday and then six hours back yesterday to go see someone that is really special to us because they were in their last moments. And I would tell you why? Because life is important. It is important. And so we have to figure out how do we honor and how do we protect that life? All of that comes from this topic, just the fact that God made me. God makes all of us, so that makes us special. And so even if you differ on things, kind of from what I'm saying, we can still like each other. But I would tell you, we'll all walk out of this doorway going, the truth is that God made me. We know that. Here's the second thing that I would tell you, just from Psalm 139. It's that God sees me. God sees me. And so if you were to jump back to verse 7, you know, in the text of Psalm 139, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. So the night turned, or the light turned to night all around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. For the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Like I see David just saying, man, God, you see me. And I kind of think about, have you ever played, uh, have you ever played hide and seek with a toddler or just a little older? And it's like, all right, you go hide. And so you hear them thumping down the hallway, thunk, 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 and you know exactly where they're going. You go in your room, your nicely made bed, except for this big, you know, hump right there in the middle. Or maybe you're like in the living room and these feet are kind of sticking out from under the couch. Or like you're in the kitchen, you hear giggling, <laughs> behind like the, you know, the cabinets or whatever it is. And so you're like, I don't know where Susie is. Where is she? And you're just like playing this game. But the entire time, you know where they're at. I see that here. Like God is like, wherever I go, God, wherever I am, you see me. You see me. And he said, I can go to the heavens. You're there. He said, I can go to the depths. Or maybe your Bible says Sheol, which is like the grave, this permanence of grave. Like either way, you see me. I can rise on the wings of the dawn, the far east that I can see. I can settle on the far side of the sea as far west as I can go. Man, you are there. Oh, but maybe, maybe I'll wait till it's dark outside and then you won't see me. Because that's what we do. Sometimes we don't want someone to see us. So we're going to close the door. We're going to turn off a light. We're going to wait till it's nighttime so we can do whatever it is that maybe we're not supposed to do. But God sees. That doesn't work with him. So God sees us, which again is a real comforting thing unless we're doing something that we shouldn't do. Like if you're driving the speed limit going along and you see a cop, maybe you're like, hi, you know, maybe you don't, I don't know. But anyway, you know, that's what's happening. But if you're like going over the speed limit, especially if it's like a little bit, okay, that kind of thing, like all of a sudden, like you're like, whoa, maybe put on the brakes. You're trying to hide behind another car. You immediately look at the rear view mirror. Did he see me? You're hoping, don't see me, don't see me, don't see me. Man, 
God sees us in everything that we do, and that is such a comfort as long as we're living for Him. And even if I go metaphorically just for a moment, that God sees us, I would tell you that God sees you maybe more than you see yourself, like better than you see yourself. And I think about Sarah had an illustration at BBS with the kids, and there was a mirror right over here, and it said, you are God's masterpiece. She said, I even hear the voice of God saying, I am your masterpiece, but then I look over here, and I've got sin written on my arm and sin up here and sin on my forehead, and I don't feel like God's masterpiece. And it was the day we were talking about how Jesus came to redeem us, to buy us back, to wash us clean, and she then had something that looked like the blood of Jesus, and it wiped away every one of those sins, whether we wanted to ignore it or scratch it or try to just like hope it's not there. Like Jesus' blood was the only thing that washed us clean. And when I talk about Jesus seeing you, that's how he sees you. Not for the things that you've done, the mistakes you've made, you know, even the great things you've done. That's not how he sees you. He sees you through the blood of Jesus, through his righteousness. And I'm glad that God sees me. And so was David. So he said, God, you've made me. God, you see me. The third thing he says is, God, you know me. Okay, God knows me. All right, ready to say it? Ready, go. All right, God knows me. And so this is the beginning of the psalm. And so, starting at verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. David says, God, you know me. Like, man, you know what I do. You know what I say. You know what I think. You know where I go. Like, there is no tricking you. You know all of those things. Man, again, we think about knowledge, and sometimes we're like, I'd like to know what other people are thinking, although I really don't know if you do. You know, do you really want to know what they're thinking about you? But what if I flip that? What if everyone knew what you were thinking? And all of a sudden, they're like, so that's what they really think about this dress? Or that's what they really think about my dessert. That's what they really think about my car. Or we could get deeper on the things that you think about. And I wonder, would you have as many friends as you do if everyone knew what you thought? And yet God knows us fully. He knows everything about us. But it's comforting because he also loves us. In fact, this whole entire week, I've been listening to a song by Torrin Wells. It's called Known. And over and over again, it says, I am fully known and I'm loved by you. It is not one or the other. It's not, oh, I'm fully known, and oh, I got to be around this one. I got to love this one, okay? Or it's not, I don't know you that much, but man, do I love you. It is both of these, that you are fully known, and you are loved by God. In fact, in the song, it's like, that's ridiculous grace. Like, just thinking about God's love, that is absolutely amazing. And so I sit here going, I am so thankful for that grace, for that love, because all of us are forgiven. That's important, even as the things we talked about today. Because I know I've had conversations, if we go back to even life at the beginning, I've had conversations with people who in their life at some point they chose that the abortion was the way to go, like they're still struggling. They're like there are times each year or, you know, I know that God has forgiven me up here, but like they're struggling with certain things. We've had those conversations. And I'd love for you to be able to walk out of here more than just this, but going, you are fully known and you are loved. That is how God sees you. 
Or you go to that next section about, well, I do things in the dark. I don't want people to know. Maybe in the past, maybe I've got these addictions. Maybe they're even still going on right now. The message for you, you are fully known and you are loved. Or maybe it's even just the things, oh, but the things that I think that are going on, like I don't want anyone to know that. I don't even want God to know that. Even right now, you are fully known and you are loved by him. Man, I sit here and just think about what David said. God, you made me, you see me, you know me, you love me. I'm in awe of you. Which then just leads to what his response is and what we ought to say too. He says, God, lead me. All right, say that part. That should be our prayer. Like when we understand who God is, all right, God, I want you to lead me in my life. In fact, here's what he writes. So these are the verses I don't have memorized anymore. It says, If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. See, I don't use those verses nearly as much. But anyway, we'll get back to it. And then it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. It says, test me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And David simply says, God, will you lead me? That whole part that I'm like, God, why is this in here? Why does David write about enemies and all this kind of stuff? And I think it's because after he's like, how amazing God is, why would people not serve you? Why would people not worship you? And he says, God, help me not to be part of this outward evil. Help my life not to fall into this way where I don't serve you. He also says, God, as you're leading me, will you lead me away from inward evil? Like know my heart, know my anxious thoughts. Is there anything offensive that's going on? My selfish desires, things I shouldn't be thinking about, like all this stuff. God, will you lead me away from that and into eternity? One step at a time. God, I want to follow after you. Which is why, you know, when we talk about, yes, you're fully known and loved by God, when we understand that, we don't want to just sit there and go, okay, but I'm going to keep on sinning. Like we want to give him honor and praise for who he is. So this week in my own devotion time, like I've been looking at different questions that Jesus asked. And one of the things that I was reading, it said, ask these questions towards yourself if Jesus was asking you. And so one of them, Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will not die. And right after that, he says, do you believe this? And so my question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that Jesus came for you, that you can be forgiven? Do you believe that he formed you? He continues to see you and you are fully known and you are loved by him. And so maybe today is the day that you need to make that decision going, God, I want you. Like I've tried all this other stuff. Like I'm taking the value that everyone else says about me, but it's not working. And I want you, only you. And if that's you, during this time when we're singing, I invite you, go to one of these decision points. Have a conversation. What does this mean? Some people are ready. I'm ready to be baptized today. I don't know. But what does this look like to follow Jesus completely? The other question that I looked at a lot this week was when Jesus talks to Peter. And after he's risen from the dead, he says, do you love me? If Jesus asked you that, what would you say? And maybe more than words, what would your life show? Would it be able to go, yes, by the things that I say, the do, think, you can tell that I love you because that's the church that we're called to be.
as Christians, that's who we are called to be. Everything should be based out of his word. And just think about God is the maker. He is the one that makes us new. So as we sing here in a moment, if you need Jesus for the first time, I'd encourage you to go there. I'd also tell you if you need prayer for anything, as we've been talking about some deep things, and God, I just want prayer for anything. I don't want to have to carry this all by myself. And someone come alongside and pray for me. We want to do that because that's who the church is. The rest of us, let's sing about this grace that God has given to us. Let's stand and sing.